This is Acts 26, verses 16 through 18. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that... um, Simple concepts can be life-transforming when turned into a different situation and we see them from a different perspective. I'm asking this morning, Heavenly Father, that as You uh, speak, that I'm out of Your way and Your Word comes forward. I'm asking that You would uh, bless our hearts this morning with Your presence and Word that we might, as a church and as individuals, stand forth, rising up to walk. And Heavenly Father, I ask you to do these things through Jesus Christ, that your name would be glorified, and our lives and hearts would be made pure in your presence. Amen. You may be seated. I'm no doctor. I thought about going for my doctorate, and then I thought, I don't really like school. I don't have a stethoscope. But I have an S scope. And the reason I say that is it's our annual physical, if you will. It's a spiritual checkup. I'm going to ask you some questions this morning. And I would like for you to think about them as I ask them and in the context in which I ask them. These questions are questions that will tell us where we're at as individuals, in our families, in our communities, and in our church. The first question I have for you is, How are you doing? Seems innocent enough, doesn't it? But I really mean, how are you doing? As in, why are you doing what you're doing? How are you doing what you're doing for God? What motivates you to do what you do? So how are you doing it? Not how are you feeling today, but how are you doing what you're doing? What are you doing and how are you doing it and why? Are you standing for something? Making a stand for the kingdom of God. Are you letting your voice be heard around you? Where are you impacting the world for Jesus in Jesus' name? What are you doing for Jesus? I mean, really. What are you doing each week that makes a difference in the life of somebody outside of your family? Who are you reaching? Another way to look at that is better yet, who aren't you willing to reach? Or who are you not reaching? There's a way you can tell these things if you're not real sure. And I don't know if you've lived a day of your life why you wouldn't know if you're doing things for God. But are you engrossed in the Word? Are you studying the Bible? Are you staying diligent to Scripture reading and and learning what it says and what God's trying to tell you through that? These are important These are basics, okay? I'm not trying to tell you something. Oh, I don't know if I'm doing that or not. 
This is basic stuff. Is your prayer life fervent? Are you praying deeply, sincerely every day? Trying to pray as often as possible throughout the day. And some folks would say, well, I pray at meals and I pray when I'm going to bed and when I wake up and that's about it. That's not fervent prayer life. Not going to have a whole lot of power if you don't pray a lot. The more you pray, the more God gets done through you. Usually it's because when you pray, God changes you instead of the world. So prayer, studying the Word, but more so, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Is your life filled with the Holy Spirit's presence? I have anointing oil. Have you been anointed with oil so God can use you for ministry as an anointed believer? It's not for ministers only. It's for anybody who wants to be in God's presence and service. I'd like to be anointed, Pastor, so God will use me and remind me as a statement of faith that I want God to use me. Have you been anointed for ministry? And sometimes we say, well, I didn't even know I was supposed to be. Aaron, Moses' brother-in-law, was a brother, excuse me, was anointed with oil. Poured over him to be a priest for God. And we learned a few weeks ago in the Names and Numbers message that we are priests and co-rulers with Jesus Christ. We need anointed. If we want power of God running through us, we need the anointing. Can't be our anointing. I anoint me. That doesn't work. God anoints us. The oil is symbolic of our desire for God to do that. I wonder sometimes how often it is that we come to church and we don't realize all the possibilities that are available because we just don't talk about it. Well, this morning I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it because of what happened to Saul. I want to tell you, God did not call any of us to lay down and live a passive life for Jesus Christ. Not one of us. He calls us to take risks. Yeah, risks are scary. Could be dangerous. Could isolate or alienate yourself from people. But I want to propose to you that if you're not taking risks... For Jesus Christ, you may not know who He really is and what He wants of you. Because He's called you to discipleship. All the disciples left their jobs to follow Jesus. What have we left behind? These are all things we need to think about this morning. And I want to tell you why. Because in the passage today, we have a man named Saul who is... A very zealous man. Well educated. According to the Mosaic law, blameless. According to self-righteousness, at least self-proclaimed self-righteousness from what he says, he never sinned. Never. However, this same man was rounding up Christians to kill them in the early church. The church was so afraid of this man that they would have secret meetings and secret codes to communicate with one another so they wouldn't be found. And they met in hiding. It was a very scary time in the first century. It's a time where if you believed in Jesus Christ, your life was in your hands and literally in Christ's. And this man named Saul had already rounded up many Christians. If he had been successful 
Our church today would not exist. He was not going to stop. He was relentless. Relentless. He had gotten letters from the temple in Jerusalem. He was on the road to Damascus to round up all the Christians in Damascus. Do you understand? He was going city to city, cleaning it up. And he was not on his first city. And on his way, a light shone down while he was on his horse and he fell off the horse on the ground, struck blind. This man named Saul. This zealot for God. Doing everything he thought God wanted to do and pleasing the temple leaders. He would have been one in the crowd saying, crucify Jesus. Because he was a blasphemer and not doing it the way the temple said. He was very, very, very rule-based. Very legalistic. This man named Saul, on the road to Damascus, when he fell off the horse, struck blind, fell to the ground. A voice spoke. The first thing it said was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, goads means that which God is trying to do, basically is what that means. It's hard for you to fight God. And he's thinking, I'm, I'm doing God's work. I'm rounding up these so-called blasphemers thinking they're uh, with God and they, they're not, and I'm fixing them. Destroying them so they don't ruin God's temple. So, why are you fighting God? And, and Saul says, Who are you? <laughs> and the voice says, I am Jesus, the one you persecute. The one you are currently persecuting. And then he says the verses that I read to you. But rise and stand on your feet. Now, I've got to tell you something about rising up for Saul. He had literally fallen. Truly had. Doing God's work, being so zealous for God, yet he missed the entire message of what God was all about. He thought that he had to enforce God's holy law. That's how zealous he was. Now think about this for a moment. When you are persecuting Christians and thinking you're doing God's work, there's something wrong with your theology about God. Not only had Paul fallen off of a horse, he also had fallen spiritually from the presence of God. His onward ride stopped. In its tracks, those who were with him saw it. Bright light shining down. So, spiritually, Paul had fallen from grace. Never was there. And now physically, fallen. And now blind, physically. And sometimes, we get struck 
with an ailment that matches our spiritual infirmity. And that's what Paul received, a spiritual blindness matched by his physical blindness. And so God says to him through Jesus, rise and stand on your feet. I'm not real good at um, shortening things. I generally lengthen them out. If I like, if I'm getting, giving instructions, I'll add unnecessary steps that people assume and I assume they know. Why couldn't Jesus have just said, stand on your feet? Why did he say, rise and stand on your feet? I'm going to tell you why in just a moment, but I will tell you this. The word rise and stand are two different words. Rise is the act of getting up. It's the act of being up and ready. Standing on your feet is just that. Standing. Rising takes effort. It's work. Standing standing. Someone once said that standing is a verb because you're doing something. I'm standing. Well, now that I've stood here, am I doing something? Or am I actually, or am I still just standing still? Is that a verb? In this instance, when God calls Paul to stand, it is a verb. When God tells you to stand, it's a verb. You're doing something. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about having done all to stand, you still stand against the wiles of the devil. It's a verb. It takes work sometimes to just stand because the winds are going to assail and they're going to try and blow you over and the enemy's going to attack you and try to knock you back and down. So yes, standing is work sometimes. But Paul, you see, first thing he needed to do was realize that he had fallen spiritually. But he didn't understand or he wouldn't have been doing what he was doing. Listen to what Jesus tells him. Listen to it in terms of who we are as a church, who you are as a family member and as an individual, and listen to where God is calling in our lives. He says, Stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for a purpose. It's not to stop him from persecuting Christians. It's not to stop him from going to Damascus. He actually goes there. He says, I will make you a minister and a witness. Of what? He says, of the things which you've seen. What's he seen? So far, all he's seen is a great light that blinded him. And he's seen his own zealousness destroying the church. And he has seen in retrospect how he actually was sinning and didn't think he was. Later, he calls himself the chiefest of sinners. A man who had no fault, according to the law, the chiefest of sinners. He says, a witness of the things you've seen and the things I'm going to show you, to reveal to you. 
You see, when God calls us to something, we don't always know what He's asking us to do. He's just asking us to be obedient, to rise up and stand. Because if you don't rise up and stand, you can't walk, you can't move by sitting down. Standing on the promise is not sitting on the premises. Kind of like that. So He says, I'm going to deliver you from the Jewish people. Well, at the time that this happened, Paul was not under persecution from Jewish people. He was under their blessing. The chief priest had letters in his hands telling him he was blessed for the work he was doing for the temple. He says, I'm also going to deliver you from the Gentiles. And he wasn't after the Gentiles. He wasn't concerned about that. But I'm sending you to the Gentiles. (laughs) Oh, says Paul. You're sending me to the Gentiles, the unclean people. Mm, Really? Well, you know, I like the idea of you showing me things, God. I like the fact that you're going to deliver me from a lot of trials and tribulations, but I really don't want to go to them folks. I've never associated with Gentiles who would be unclean ritually. And I've never been unclean ritually. I can't, would not, cannot think of that. But he says, I'm going to send them, you to them, for this reason to open the Gentiles' eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. And Paul can agree they walk in darkness because they're not Jewish. But what he doesn't yet understand is that God has a compassion for the broken, lost, and hurting people. He's not trying to destroy them. He's trying to minister to them. And he's going to turn them from the power of Satan to God. This is a big order. That they may receive, listen to this, Gentiles, forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Hear this real carefully. The Gentiles are going to get forgiveness of sin and an inheritance with God. That they have an inheritance that God has laid up for them. Among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If this vision doesn't happen, if this moment doesn't happen, the church is only for the Jewish community. Paul lorded over Peter and lauded over it and said, this is for the Gentiles whom I'm going to minister unto. God said they're included. Jesus told me this. And Peter said, I can't eat with unclean people. And then Peter got a change of heart too. But if Paul hadn't gotten this call, Ephesus, Corinth, Rome, um, Philippi, all those churches would not be there. Don't miss this. One man, one man, change of heart from destroying the church to establishing them. That is a true change. And a man who refused to go to Gentiles because they were not Jewish, they were other people, unclean, unholy, ungodly, godless creatures. 
them people. Just saying this is my heart for them people. Because Jesus Christ came to him and said, you are the one I choose. And you think that Saul is going, oh, I'm all in. This is going to be great. He asked him to go to the community of unbelievers. Of people who didn't think they had a part of Jesus Christ or God. The Jewish God was territorial. They didn't think they had a right to it. It was all about to change. But Paul didn't become Paul on the road to Damascus. He was still Saul for a little while longer. But he went to Damascus. And I'm not spoiling the story because I think you've heard it before. He goes to a priest named Ananias who prays over him, who God has told him this man's coming. And he said, oh, he persecutes Christians. He's going to round me up. Because he was coming originally to destroy Ananias. And, and Jesus tells Ananias, no, he's mine. And you're going to instruct him in the word. So he knows how to preach it. You're going to pray over him. And you're going to see that that persecutor is now your friend. Only God can do that. But I want to tell you something. If this doesn't happen, the whole community in the Middle East and all the places Paul went on his missionary journeys doesn't happen. Two-thirds of the New Testament doesn't get written. You get the Gospels and that's about it. Going to be a kind of an empty book without Romans, Corinthians, and all the rest of those, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All the theological things we know about Jesus Christ are very clearly explained in Paul's writings. We don't get that explanation without it. We don't understand grace and love and the love chapter. None of it do we get without Paul. Very zealous man. But I'm going to show you something, and I've got some volunteers going to come up in just a sec to help me. Do you remember in school learning Einstein's uh, formula for what energy is? Uh, anybody? It's, it's simple. Everybody quotes it right all the time. E equals mc squared. Yes, E equals mc squared. Energy times equals mass times the speed of light squared. It's a very large number if you do the math, but that's what energy is. But for energy to be energy, it has to do something. Otherwise, it's potential energy. All of us have potential energy for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only when it's in motion that something is happening. Do you know the formula for work according to what we learned in school? It almost sounds crazy. It comes with horsepower. You know, that's part of it. Foot pounds. Anybody know? Work equals force times distance. In other words, if you pick up an object that's 10 pounds, you carry 10 feet, you've done 10 foot-pounds of work. 10 feet, 10 pounds. I think that's how that works. 
So, if you're just standing there holding it, according to the formula, you've done nothing. You have not done work. You have potential energy, but you got to move. The item has to move. So, I want to show you how this works in Christian faith. i got my three volunteers. We're going to show you this, alright? I think you're going to appreciate this uh, in a real simple way because this is unrehearsed. life, we have a lot of hopeless, broken people around us. Our community is filled with them. They don't know Jesus Christ. We know there's at least 400 within two miles or so that go to church nowhere and have no affiliation with any church. And so they're hopeless. They don't know it yet because no one has ever given them hope. So here's a hopeless man. And here's a, a, a believer in love with Jesus Christ. And, and there's a hopeless man and there's a believer in love with Jesus Christ. And he's just he's just loving Jesus. <laughs> and here's a hopeless man over here. And so what, what, what do you want to do? I never know. Show the hopeless man. The word. Show them what the cross is. You understand? We can love Jesus all day long and stand there and see the hopeless do nothing. And other believers say, you need to go out and do something. You need to go out and do something. But until the Lord has opened up to us as believers, it's our responsibility. And until we go, like she did, to the hopeless person, point the way to the cross through the Word of God, they won't know. He's loving Jesus, but that's not work. Going to the person is. It's force times distance. But sometimes the distance is next door. Sometimes it's across the street. Sometimes it's a mile down the road. Sometimes it's somebody broken down that you may recognize, but you really don't know that well. It's opportunity everywhere. Now, the question is, do we get so wrapped up in our relationship with Jesus that we forget about the person that doesn't have Jesus? And do we sometimes, as she did, see that he should be doing something with him, but he won't, so she says, I've got to step up and show both of them. Sometimes we stand in the gap for the broken and the one that thinks they've got everything. But faith without works, without work movement, is what? Dead means you don't have it anymore. You're not doing anything with it. Thank you all. Y'all give them a hand for helping. So maybe you can see in your life that sometimes you're the hopeless, 
Sometimes you're the one in love with Jesus. And sometimes you're the one saying, hey, somebody needs to do something. we got to do something. And you start using your voice and pointing to the Word and then going to both. Sometimes we have to stir up the believers, which I'm trying to do today, so the believers will go to the hopeless, homeless, broken people who we don't want to go to because they're not our family, we don't know them, or they're just different. Same like Paul. And God said to Paul, get up! Stand on your feet. Get ready to move. I've appeared to you for this purpose. Jesus Christ came to you for a purpose. To redeem you, to be sanctified by faith that you would be a messenger. We must be moving to have energy in the faith. It's a universal truth. Einstein wasn't wrong that E equals MC squared. But if I'm not moving, this mass time the speed of light still going nowhere. But if I start to walk forward in faith to where God has called me, then that speed of light and the mass of what I'm doing, God will use to create energy for His kingdom. But it has to involve work. Yes, the work of the Gospel. I believe it's time our church had some energy. Fired up about it too. On fire energy. And people get up and go, hey, what can I do? Not get up on Sunday and go to church and think you're done. That's the love of Jesus, Christian. Our church needs to be dynamic enough so that all of us are compelled to be more than Sunday morning attendees. If we come once a week to worship, we're showing up one more time than the hopeless that isn't showing up at all. Just one more time. That's it. And we think we're doing something. But we haven't. I'm convinced that people who need Jesus will never darken the door of our church without an invitation from a face-to-face visit with you. I imagine you could probably know who wasn't here when you go from here today. And you can invite that person this week. If you say, they say, I can't come, say, how about a drive-in movie? Would you like popcorn and burgers and hot dogs next Sunday night? That's safe. If they're not going to listen for a Sunday, maybe they'll come see an awesome movie and some food, or maybe just the food. But when they come for the food, we're going to bless them with the presence of God. We're going to ask them when they come if there's anything we can do for them. Can we pray for you? Ask them to fill out a little card that says, is there anything we can pray for you right now? We would like to do that. We want to be a church that prays. So when people come for any event we have, they know we love them. I have a serious, serious struggle with uh, people questioning whether or not they are loved. Every Wednesday night, I tell the food pantry folks during my time, they are loved. I love them. A week and a half ago, I went to the hospital and one of them was in there. Same day I saw Darwin and Paula. And um, I went to his room. He looked at me and he's crying. And I said, you look shocked that I'm here. Are you? 
And I said, I told you I loved you every Wednesday and I hugged your neck and told you that every time. Did you think I was kidding? Do you believe me now? Amen. Do you understand that I even said I'm not kidding? Like people are going to believe that, that that's proof right there. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. We're serious. We do the food pantry every week. We're serious. We love people. But until they see you show up in their brokenness, in their hurt, they don't know that you've come to shine light into their life. You, they don't know that. They've come for a box of food. They don't know that love is bigger than a box of food. So they see the food as the act of love rather than the act of love giving food. You understand, until the people understand this kind of love, they can't see it, believe it, or receive it because it's not normal. It's not a godly type of love they're used to. They're used to people loving them to take advantage. So I'm asking again the same question. How or why are you doing? What matters the most to you? If it isn't what Jesus cares about first, it's time to repent and get back to the heart of God. Here's how I can say this. Whatever's more important to you than serving others and rising up to get moving has to go. Whatever's stopping you from doing that. Because it's an idol in your life. God will remove idols from your life eventually. But I believe He'd much rather you chose to let it go today. Simply this. Do the work of getting rid of idols and start doing the work of a believer. I asked you very simple questions at the beginning. Are you studying the Bible? Are you praying? <coughs> Do you have the Holy Spirit? The answers to those questions, do you do those things, are the basics of standing. Those will keep you standing against the devil. They'll keep you standing against the enemy. But they won't get you out the door. They will get you so you're afraid to go out the door because you're afraid you're going to get attacked. But Jesus says, risk. Rise on your feet for I've called you for a purpose. To go to the ones who are living in darkness under the power of Satan. You are not under the power of Satan when you belong to Jesus. He just wants you to think you are. God has called you to stand first with the expectation of going second. It's a two-part equation. Stand in the Word, in prayer, with the power of the Holy Spirit on you, and then go. I want to ask you a very simple question. Why do you think it is that little babies want 
to stand and walk. Do you think it's because they were told it's a good idea? Or do you think there's something inside them that says, this is what I do to be a part of this world? This kingdom I'm living in. I want to be like others. And so in our faith, we come to the same point. Do we want to stand and be like others of the faith like Paul, who once was a Saul? Do you think one man can change the world? We always point to Jesus and say one solitary man changed this world and it's true. But he called Paul. He rose up. He raised us all to a Paul. <laughs> and he'll raise you. And you may be the one person that needs to reach a certain community of people nobody else can. And most likely, they're your people who surround you every day and maybe your friends. If they don't have Jesus, you are not their friend if you don't tell them. And if Jesus isn't all that matters to you, first and foremost, I can see why you're not telling them. But I promise you, that's not Christianity. Christianity says, I hunger for Jesus and I want my world to know who He is. And I'll stand for that. And I'll shout it. And I'll go. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You that You called us in the name of Jesus Christ to rise up from the brokenness. That when we stand, we can see where we've come from. And then You can direct us on the steps to where we're going. There's so much work for us to do, Heavenly Father. And we've seen that we've sometimes idly sat by and thought that was someone else's job. Right now, Heavenly Father, if I've done that, I repent. And we as a church, if we've neglected anybody, turned our back on a soul because we just didn't want to do it, forgive us. Heavenly Father, let the work that we're going to be doing be the work that You set us to do. And may we rise to stand to do the work of the Gospel. As a church, Heavenly Father, as a church, let us not be named as once a week Christians for an hour. Heaven forbid, Heavenly Father, 